Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Keep Left. Uh, I should start by telling you about the memorial service for Sigrid Bork, who, <coughs> as listeners may remember, was on Keep Left for, well, it must have been 10, 15, 10, 12 years. Uh, there'll be a memorial on Saturday the 10th of September, that's next Saturday week, and uh, they'll be gathering at the boardwalk adjacent to Station Pier. The boardwalk adjacent to Station Pier at 12 o'clock to say farewell, followed by a wake at the Mission to Seafarers at 717 Flinders Street, corner of Sidley and Flinders Street, Docklands, at 2pm. See, uh, Sigurd was co-host on Keep Left for 12 years, so this document tells me. So that's uh, Saturday week at 12.30. All right, uh, well, welcome to the show, John. Yeah, uh, g'day, Chris. Uh, g'day, uh, listeners. And uh, I'm Chris Gaffney, so John Lefty. Chris Gaffney, that's your pair for today. <clears throat> well, as you know, the Australian Parliament met for the first time since the election, and Turnbull, who has a slim majority of only one, appealed for all parliamentarians to unite behind a program of austerity, military spending and expanded pause for the security forces. Makes your mouth water, really, doesn't it? His remarks were particularly addressed to the Labour Party, which had offered bipartisan support for most of the measures he's proposing. Turnbull portrayed the challenge as not uh, as one of how we shouldn't load debt onto future generations. In reality, the government is preparing to impose savage cuts to the living standards and the working conditions of the working class in order to boost corporate profits via sweeping tax cuts and massively increased military spending. Overshadowing these proceedings, of course, are the worsening global economic slump the demands of the US government for stepped-up involvement in war preparations against China, and the widespread disaffection that resulted in record numbers of people voting against the main three parties, Coalition, Labour and the Greens. The Governor-General, urged in his speech prepared by the government, urged the Parliament to impose fiscal discipline to prepare for shocks in the global economy. The next necessity, he said, the necessity, mind you, was to invest $195 billion in defence capability over the next decade, including the largest investment in the Navy since World War II. And it's worth noting that not, as far as I'm aware, not one parliamentarian, Green, Labour, Liberal or Independent, has questioned this massive, massive increase in military spending which obviously would see the budget line repaired overnight if, for example, we cancelled, say, $50 billion mm-hmm. worth of uh, submarines. submarines yeah. The scale of the onslaught being prepared against working people is indicated by one of the first bills drafted by the government, a so-called ominous bill. It's got 600 pages containing 24 schedules of measures to so- slash social spending by $6.1 billion over four years. 
It's an assault on some of the poorest and most vulnerable members of society, including welfare recipients, students, old-age pensioners and newly arrived uh, migrants. Among the measures are cuts to aged care, public dental health programs, higher education. There's a harsher means testing of pensions for nursing home residents, the abolition of backdating for carer's allowance and a punitive 9% interest charge on unpaid welfare debts. So the dole office overpays you, mm-hmm. you have to pay them back, but also you've now got to pay them 6 9% interest on the money that, they've, that they have overpaid you with. Well, New Start benefits are actually, that the payment is actually being decreased. Apparently that's the first time that's ever happened because, uh, or, or that happened in the last government, the last mm-hmm. parliament, because the... There was a slight uh, extra payment for to offset carbon tax. That's whatever, right. That's and, right. And so they're that's taking right. that back. Yes, yes, I know. And actually, <laughs> it's called the clean energy supplement. The clean energy supplement. And it'll yeah. take seven dollars a week off welfare recipients who can obviously afford hmm. a, a wage, a, a, a payment that is, I think, half the poverty line. Job seeking bonuses to assist the unemployed will fi- find work will be scrapped as well. So job seeker bonuses will be scrapped and the clean energy supplement. So seven, you know, people who are on welfare will lose $7. Meanwhile, billionaires don't pay any tax and something like 52 major companies pay no tax at all. But they're not the untaxed, as Morrison refers to. Mm. Some student scholarships will be scrapped. All students will have to repay their tuition fees once they start earning $51,956 a year, and they've lowered that from 3000 It used to be something like 54000 These measures were prioritised because Labor committed to back them during the election. This is only the first instalment. In the lead-up to the election, Labor abandoned previous promises to oppose budget cutbacks, totalling an estimated $33 billion over the next four years as well as hospital funding savings of $57 billion over 10 years. The financial markets are saying this is not enough. They want far deeper inroads. Uh, <clears throat> they've said we'll scrap the country's AAA credit ratings unless the Turnbull government can quickly demonstrate its capacity to eliminate the budget deficit, now around $40 billion annually. Blackmail. Of course. At the same time, there's ferocious opposition within the government and the parliament to making even minor changes to the multi-billion dollar annual tax concession to the wealthy via superannuation and property investment schemes. So you've got government backbenchers saying what an outrage (coughs) Um, these uh, purported attacks on them are. Meanwhile, hitting the poor, no problem at all. Turnbull's plan to provide a veneer of fairness, which is the only reason why he's sticking with these uh, minimal reductions to a superannuation and property investment scheme, he wants to provide a veneer of fairness, so we'll accept all the other business. But that the, the, the Liberal Party backbench aren't having a bar of that. Mm. Uh, attack the poor and leave the rich out of it, they say. The financial elite's agenda will accelerate the growth of social inequality, imposed by both Labour and coalition governments. Real wages have in fact started to decline over the last three years. 
Tens of thousands of full-time jobs have been eliminated or replaced by part-time employment, and more than a million people in Australia are now living in poor or derelict housing. As one recent report highlighted, the share of income going to the wealthiest 1% in Australia has doubled since 1983, which was the year the Labor government got in got and they began this neoliberal experiment, mm -hmm. which was... Uh, and since then, uh, the share of income going to the top 1% has doubled. Very nice, thank you very much. Even by the limited official statistics, the wealth gap is much wider. By 2003, the net wealth of the 20, top 20% of the households, like the top 20% of the households, they own 57 times as much as the poorest 20%. 57 times. Times, yeah. Times the top 20% had over the bottom 20%. That was in 2003. A decade later, the richest 20% had 71 times the worth of the poorest 20%. So it went from 57 times the wealth of the, the, the top lot had against the bottom lot now that's gone up to 71 times. Precisely, precisely because of this yawning class divide, the government's priority list is also topped by three bills headed by the Australian Building and Construction Commission building. And this is to crack down on any industrial action by workers. And that was the original reason why the election was called. That's right, that's so right. Most people have forgotten. That's right, that's right. And... Uh, you know, we know we don't need a bank inquiry. We don't need an inquiry into the financial services that are daylight bloody robbers. We've got to rob, we've got to attack the trade unions because, for God's sake, not not the unions like the uh, shop assistants mm. or the health workers unions, which have uh, done deals to the benefit of the employers, they mean any union that's likely to stick up for its members is now constituted as virtually a criminal as criminal. Well, there is one criminal, and well, apparently has been charged, and that's Cathy Jackson. Yes, but I the, exempted the, that, the, that union. I mean, the, the line of the trade union movement. Oh, the line, that's right. How quickly the, the government of... rushed to say what a wonderful <laughs> woman she was. And uh, <laughs> but they're running in the other direction now. The fractures evident within the government have fueled complaints in the corporate media that Turnbull has failed to push through the economic restructuring agenda. He promised when he got rid of Tony Abbott. And remember, that's been the mission of the Liberal Party since they got in, is to shift the burden of any crisis from the rich to the poor. From the standpoint of the corporate elite, a revolving door of successive Labour and coalition governments has failed to impose the burden on the population, partly because the population have started to object and to see the obvious iniquity of it all. Whatever parties form the next government, it will escalate the assault on working people as well as the preparations for war and repression, triggering convulsive social and class struggles. And in that, we should note <coughs> the rapid retreat of the Greens to the right. And that the Greens are going, taking the Meg Lee way path to oblivion. And people will understand what I mean the by GST that. Woman, the you know, G, the GST woman up. for the Democrats. And that was the death knell for the Democrats. Absolutely, they and died. And the Greens. And it will be the same with the Greens. I mean, the Greens have got this idea that you can make for a better, more environmentally sounding people without attacking capitalism. And that's not 
true. You can't be part of the capitalist system and remain immune. And we're discovering this now. Bob Brown, who I had some respect yes, for, yes. is attacking the left wing of the Greens Party for being too socialist. Now, Bob Brown is? Yes. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, he attacked that Leanon, uh, Rhiannon. Uh, Lee Rhiannon, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, he has, yeah. Um, because she was uh, want to speak out on behalf of the poor and to take sides in the class struggle. And the Greens don't want to take sides in the class struggle, so they end up supporting the ruling class. And this is only going to get worse. It's a shame. It's a shame. But you cannot ignore class. If you do, you'll end up on the wrong side. And the Greens are beginning to show that. Now, I thought I'm... he was actually attacking Leary Annan because she was too old. Well, but he's, he's pretty old. He's about 70. <laughs> yeah, but he's gotten up. But she's not old. Yeah, I think she's about as old as he. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. She's. I mean, I'm, look. How do you measure I think it was, old? She was attacking him for her for her politics. He it, was attacking yeah, her. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw that. Well, yeah. that's right. That's yes, right. And uh, what? Well, so yeah, you know, look. There's very little difference between the Labour Party and the Coalition. But in, in this country, we've got a whole lot of shades. You know, like you're saying, there's the Greens and there's the right and le there's, well, the, the right and the centre of the Liberal Party is really what's quite interesting at the moment because there seems to be a huge fight going on amongst them. Uh, in the United States, it's come down to just a choice that people have between uh, Clinton and Trump, and what a hell of a choice it is. This month is going to see the first of the... Uh, of, there's going to be three candidates debates between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Now, the liberal media, which dominates in this country, has spent most of the past year talking down Trump. It's not hard to do. No, no, no. <laughs> he, he was initially painted as a figure of fun, and now they've decided that he's actually somebody to be feared. The favourite to become the next US president is Clinton, by quite a margin. And it doesn't take much to see why she, too, could be a very dangerous leader. In some areas, I would say myself, such as education and guns, she does seem more progressive. In other areas like immigration, social questions and the economy, there doesn't seem to be too much difference between them. On the issue of foreign policy, though, which is probably so important if you live outside the US, as we do. Well, you're, you're likely to be bombed by yeah. that. <laughs> That's right. It's good to, you know, if you don't watch yourself. That's right. That's right. Yeah, which is really what is important to the rest of the world. Her record is well known. She is very belligerent and resorts to war sometimes as a first option. One of the main problems with uh, Hillary Clinton, though, is that even in areas where she appears to be strong, the voters can never really be sure. And this is because, even by a politician's standards, Hillary Clinton is an exceptional liar. She has been caught out lying on many documented occasions. However, unlike her husband, Bill, who finally issued an apology over... Who never had sex. Yeah, and he finally... <laughs> he did finally issue an apology over the Lewinsky scandal, a naughty boy got right. caught, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Hillary just continues to lie despite any evidence. For example... She has claimed to have always been a supporter of same-sex marriage, despite the fact, you can go on YouTube, you can see the video evidence, video evidence from 2002 through to 2010, showing her say that she opposes any change to marriage laws. She was always against it. Right, was she? Yeah, now she's for it. Mm -hmm. 
She has also come out recently as an opponent of the NAFTA, that's the North American Free Trade Agreement, despite having been a supporter, as was Bill, of this treaty from the 1990s right up until this decade. It's not simply that she changes her mind. I mean, everybody's got the right to change their mind. The problem is that she can say to millions of people that she didn't change her mind, but in fact always believed what she says she believes now. Right. So in this regard, it becomes kind of like... Lying. 1984. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, with the George Orwell... I didn't bit. say that, that's right. No, you know, we, we're at war with East Asia. We were always at war with East Asia, if mm. you remember that one, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. But what is reality now is the way it's always been. So this is what really makes uh, Hillary uh, unique when it comes to the lying stakes. One of her most infamous cases of fabrication was when in 2008 she spoke of a 1996 trip she made to Bosnia, which was a war zone. And she said, quote, I remember particularly a trip to Bosnia where the welcoming ceremony had to be made inside because of sniper fire. She told that one in the February of 2008. She was running for uh, she was to be president at that time. Mm -hmm. She told that one in February of 2008 in front of a large and televised audience. In front of another large audience the next month in the March, she went further. She said, quote, When we were flying into Bosnia, we came in on an evasive manoeuvre. There was no greeting ceremony and we were told to run to our cars. Now that is what happened. She must really regret the fact of we have video and we have YouTube. Yes, that's right. That's so, right. The only Be problem sure your is, sins will find you out. Quite easily, as it turns out. Quite easily. The only problem here was that there were at least 100 news outlets and there was very good video, which can you, you look up, which show a perfectly peaceful landing by Mrs Clinton and her daughter and a welcoming ceremony of hundreds of people being held outside. Right, right. Now, it could be argued that Mrs. Clinton's lies on this occasion are just a result of a very bad memory. <laughs> yeah. Old age, always. They don't blame her on old age, possibly. The thing is, she continues to repeat them even after she's been found out. The email scandal is actually one of the worst, but it's very complicated. But this is uh, an email scandal she's recently been embroiled in, and it shows a string of lies, cover-ups, and so on over a period of years. Far from um, slowing her down, it seems to actually have led to even more fabrication. Just this week, her opponent Donald Trump held an election rally in Mississippi. Trump in invited as a special guest at the rally one of the political world's newest stars, Nigel Farage, who's now the ex-leader of the United Kingdom Independence Party. Farage is a former financier and a former member of the Conservative Party, but he shot to global fame when he successfully read, led Britain out of the European Union earlier this year, about two or three months ago. He's, he's right-wing, but he's also a very skillful politician. It turned out to be a masterstroke by the Trump campaign, I think. Farage once again made use of the line, I wouldn't vote for Hillary if you paid me. In fact, I wouldn't vote for Hillary even if she paid me. This was a reference to Clinton's acceptance of donations from all sorts of unscrupulous sources, uh, yeah. Goldman Sachs, a whole lot of uh, financiers, etc., etc., some of them which <clears throat> Bernie Sanders used to speak about. Yes, yes, well, he's uh, gone doggo, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Remember him? Yeah, yeah, he curled up in front of the fire, hasn't he? <laughs> 
the American audience slapped up Farage's words, but it, it, I think it's unlikely that too many of them would have known much about Farage previously. I mean, they're so insular. Mm. Um, so his appeal could have, probably would have had would have had limited use to the Trump campaign. That is, until Hillary Clinton decided to attack Farage with some of her biggest lies to date. And so I'm just gonna I'm gonna quote. This is a quote, right? This mm. is from a speech this week by this you, by Hillary Clinton, and you can look this up, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. This is all direct. I spent my time on this. She said managed to say this in just three minutes of what was about a half hour speech. Quote. Yesterday, one of Britain's most prominent right-wing leaders, Nigel Farage, who stalked anti-immigrant sentiment to win the Brexit referendum, campaigned with Donald Trump. Farage has called for a ban on the children of legal immigrants from public schools and health services and has said, and I quote, she quotes, mm. women are worth less than men. And the godfather of this global brand of extreme nationalism, a bit further down the track, the godfather of this global brand of extreme nationalism is Russian leader Vladimir Putin. Right. They always pronounce the names wrong. Yes, yes. Add to the insult. And in fact, Farage regularly appears on Russian propaganda programs. Now he's standing on the same stage as Trump. Trump himself heaps praise on Putin, and Trump embraces pro-Russian policies. Well, he's obviously a Russian agent, isn't he? <laughs> I think she's getting to it now. He speaks casually, Trump, speaks casually of abandoning our, abandoning our NATO allies, recognising Russia's annexation of Crimea, and giving the Russians a free hand in Eastern Europe. The names may have changed. Racists call themselves racialists. White supremacists call themselves nationalists. The paranoid fringe now calls itself the alt-right. And now Trump is trying to rebrand himself as well. But don't be fooled. We know who Trump is. That's all verbatim. I'm yes, not making yes. this up, you know. Yes. This bizarre speech actually went on for a full half hour, but just in that three minutes, well, not even three minutes section, Clinton told at least three lies. I won't go through all of them. And created a giant false scenario. Talk about conspiracy theory. Yes. Right? Just to go through one of the lies quickly. Now, what Farage actually said in 2014 was, quote, if a woman working in the city of London has a client base and takes two or three years off work, she is worth far less to the employer when she comes back than when she goes away. Farage wasn't saying this was a good or a bad thing. He was simply stating the situation as it was in the business world that he comes from. Hillary Clinton turned that into, Farage says women are worth less than men. Well, it's just plain dishonest, isn't it? As her campaign becomes dirtier, and throughout the rest of uh, this speech, she time and again appealed to racial and gender hatred to attack her opponent. This was all backed up with little evidence and no evidence. Now, a few months ago, Trump, I think, was rightly criticised for saying that Clinton only had the gender card to play. And then she attacked him. She, 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 yes. she was correct there. Uh, but yet yeah, here she is. Uh, it would appear that she is actually doing that. You know, She's actually playing those cards. Uh, it's very, very low-down stuff. It seems that she believes the greater the lies and the insults, the more chance she will have of winning. And I think that could be true. Well, she's playing the identity in the race card and the mm. sex card mm. because she's got to avoid the class card. Mm. 
and the class card shows her well and truly with the bastards of America, the uh, the corporate elite. You look that's at where she gets her donations from. That's right, from. Exactly. She's, she's in bed. I mean, it came to the, the global financial crisis. Yeah, again, she tries to rewrite history saying, well, I warned them, I warned them. If you go back to mm -hmm. the video evidence, the people that she blamed were the home buyers. Right, right. There was a home buyer who she blamed for, you shouldn't have got yourself in over your head and you can see all this. And it was their fault, right, the, the, you know, right. the, the, that whole scan, well, that whole led to a major recession. Now, it's true that Donald Trump is a risky candidate for president. That's an understatement, obviously. But Hillary Clinton's own record, especially in foreign affairs, which I didn't really go into there, but her own record, especially in foreign affairs, her warmongering and her hate-filled rants show that she too would make for a, a very dangerous world. It's a hell of a choice, isn't it? Oh, it's uh, unbelievably bad. Unbelievably bad. <laughs> it means uh, the necessity for building a working-class party is just overwhelming in the United States and here. But when you get creatures like Trump and Clinton... Clinton creatures. I mean, mm. no wonder you're going to have, like, whatever it is, just this massive percentage of people saying no. Well, it, uh, no. Oh, the <laughs> thing about America, of course, is the voting is voluntary. Yeah. And the British only get something like 46% of the people going to the polls. If you were an American... Yeah. Mm. Um, if you went, if you were American now, they'd be really tempting to say, choice, Clinton, mm. Mm. Trump, mm. I'll stay home. Uh, <laughs> I will stay home. There is a third candidate, of course, Jill Stein of the Greens Party, but no-one's putting her up as a, a serious rival to the others. But she may attract some of the people who supported Sanders bid to get the nomination within the the Democratic Party. But see, that's the question I've got. I mean, if if she could only be uh, promoted, if people would only know that she was around at mm. least. I think there's another one called Johnson, by the way. I don't know. I'm sure, yeah, I'm I just saw a name. And I saw a name pop up. Trump oh, there's a couple of Marxists too. Up Is there? But they'll get yeah. about two votes and no publicity. Yeah, well, I mean, if you don't get any publicity, how can people yes, know? exactly. You know, so, I mean, like, if Jill Stein has to, it has to be promoted, you know, and this really sort of comes down, I suppose, to media. Well, that's right, that's right. Yeah. That's and, right. and money. That's right, yeah, money. Well, of course. That's right. <laughs> it's a slightly funny you forgot that. <laughs> a little bit important. Well, it's, uh, I spoke a bit about Trotsky last week, and I don't intend to go over exactly the same material, but somebody rang up and said that I was saying that that um, um, the Trotsky Czech, started the, the Czech. The Trotsky started I, the no, Czech. No, so you said Stalin. They, they thought you said Stalin they started the, the Czech. The Czech. In fact, which the, was the original Soviet secret police. The original Soviet secret, which was set up during the uh, middle of the Civil War. Now, remember, you've got yeah. 14 foreign armies. You've got a disaffected class who is doing everything to try and sabotage your newly won Soviet Republic. <clears throat> and so in 1919, they established... a secret police called the Cheka to fight largely czarist army, armies and saboteurs. Later on, Stalin went much further. And Stalin basically assumed power around 1927 and expelled Trotsky from the Communist Party. So the first five-year plan is 1928? That's right, that's right. And that okay, was so, so, so he gets rid of Zinoviev and Kamenev and No, he doesn't get rid of them. Yeah. No, no, he no. does. Oh, no, no, he... In, he expels Stalin. I mean, what we what we see. Oh, so you go on. You go on. Yeah. The the difference is between Stalin and pre-Stalin or Lenin and Trotsky, is who they served. Until 1927, the Soviet state was more or less democratically controlled by the working class, organised in freely elected Soviets. 
But by 1927, a counter-revolution had taken place. A bureaucracy had grown up within civil society in the Civil War because of shortages, backwardness and the wearing away of working-class strength. They were, working class was spread all over, all over Russia and their political strength was dissipated. It cannot not be argued that in the establishing of the secret police and the bureaucracy, this is really mm -hmm. starting in Lenin and Trotsky's time. Well, to a certain extent, uh, to a certain extent, there was already a, uh, a czarist bureaucracy. Yeah, sure. But there was such backwardness and such chaos that, of course, there was a bureaucracy and decisions often had to be made in the heat of the civil war without consulting dem the democratic organs. Well, so you must have some bureaucracy. I mean, you must have... Well, of course, of course, of course. I had... And it's arguable, especially was, in a war situation, yeah, but you need a secret police. Yes, but, yes, that's true. But the point was that in the early years, the bureaucracy was dominated by the democratically elected okay. Soviets. Yeah, they're not the power. No, they, they weren't the no. power. Okay. Um, after 1927, they become the power. Mm. Until 1927, the Soviet state was more or less democratic. But by 1927, a, a counter-revolution had taken place. A bureaucracy grew up in, in the Civil War and the shortages and the wearing away of working-class strength. Now, many people will say to you, oh, Lenin led to Stalin. Lenin, Stalin, same, same, same. Not true. They'll say it was a continuum. But history shows that in order to succeed, the bureaucracy had to, one, rewrite history, they had to execute all of Lenin's associates. They had to purge all the institutions of Communist Party members led by Trotsky who fought to retain the working class state and working class democracy. So Stalin purged the state institutions, sent thousands and thousands of communists to gulags. Um, they had to rewrite Marxist theory. Mm. They had to doctor photos. Now, they're really, well, yeah, the they're interesting. One. The well, there's, one, well yeah. there's many of them. Mm. There's many of them. And what they did was they take there'd be a photo of Lenin and Trotsky, and in the revamp one, Trotsky would have disappeared. Yep. As would, and you mentioned other leaders like Kamenev and Zinoviev and Bulgarin. They were killed in the the trumped up Moscow trials of 1937, so where Stalin took the final step to obliterate completely. Kirov. The people, or Kirov. The, the Moscow part. Someone knocked off a, a, a minor official called Kirov in the early 30s. Sergei Kirov, the Moscow chief. Yeah, 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 no. Moscow chief. But he, he was, someone killed him, and yeah. Stalin blamed, without any evidence at all, blamed yeah. the Trotskyists and the Zoviets and what have you. Yeah. And they were all brought to public false fake trials in 36 and 38 and all executed. And Trotsky had an axe put in the back of his head in 1940. That completed... All of Lenin's associates were worked out. So 1937, Zinoviev, Kamenev, Bukharin, Kirov, and a whole lot of others. All, all. And then Trotsky. That's right. But in order... So, so far from it being a continuation of Lenin, they had to re... They had to turn everything that the revolution stood for upside down. Marxist theory became rewritten. And who was, who was the, what was the name of the theorist there? Um, there, was a, there was a famous theorist, a writer in the Stalin's time. A writer of the... It doesn't matter, go on. Uh, the, the Soviet writer... Well... I forget, anyway, many. there was a famous guy. They had to... But in order for this to be possible, they, have, of course, had to rewrite re working-class theory, which was mm. work by the way. So, uh, international revolution became socialism in one country. Mm. Permanent re revolution became revolution in stages. 
they showed a preference for bourgeois forces. They made alliance with capitalists over revolutionary forces. They favoured coalition with capitalists rather than support of working class forces in Germany, China, Spain and France. They betrayed revolution after revolution. They helped restore capitalism after World War II. They pursued a policy not of international socialist revolution, but of peaceful coexistence with capitalism. Those who support the role of Stalin and see the bureaucracy as real socialism are called Stalinists. Those who support genuine working-class democracy and the revolution of 1917 are called Trotskyist, or as we prefer, Marxist. And I think it's important that you really grasp that distinction. 